16. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm, I'm really just going to jump off of and meditate upon one phrase, but I will, I will read you the surrounding verses from John 19. This is Jesus <clears throat> upon the cross, and beginning in verse 19, we read this, Jesus at the very end and, and winding down in his breathing in his, in his life, and verse 28 says this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar of wine, a jar full of sour wine, stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. That's, those are the words, that's the phrase I want to uh, draw your attention to and just meditate upon for a few moments. J.C. Ryle, the bishop of Liverpool at the end of the 19th century, said this of, of this phrase, it is finished, quote, this remarkable expression, one single word, it has been completed or it is finished. It stands here in majestic simplicity without any note of comment from St. John, the author of the, of the gospel. And we are left entirely to wonder what the full meaning of this phrase is. And for 1,800 years, he was writing this in the 1800s, for 1,800 years, Christians have explained this phrase as best they can, and some portion of its meaning in all likelihood has been discovered. Some, uh, we, we've, he's saying we, we've maybe perhaps at least just scratched the surface a little bit of the meaning of this phrase. And yet it is far from unlikely that such a word spoken on such an occasion by such a person at such a moment just before death contains depths which no one has ever completely fathomed. No single meaning exhausts the whole phrase. It is rich and full and replete with deep truths, end quote. So tonight on Good Friday, we're going to meditate upon Jesus' dying words. Jesus upon the cross, you might have heard, uh, uttered seven final words, seven final phrases. And this is the sixth and second to last of all of his final words as he's perspiring, expiring upon a cross. As he utters, it is finished. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a short phrase and yet, yet packed with depths, as Raoul said, of meaning. It, it's... In fact, one word in the original language, it's, it's tetelestai, one word, but it comes to us in, in three little words, it is finished. Now, here's the deal, finished can, in our language, carry two very different, related, but very different ideas or meanings. On, on the one hand, finished could simply refer to he's expiring, he, he's coming to an end, he's dying, so Jesus could be saying, if that's what is meant here, we could read this in English as, I'm dying, it's over, it is finished, what's it? My life, my life is over. But you could also read, it is finished, or finished in a different sense, where finished would mean something like 
complete or fulfilled or perfected. And in the original language of the Bible, that's the word Jesus uses here. He's saying it is perfected. It is completed. It is fulfilled. He's not saying as he dies. He's not saying I'm dying. This is it. Last, last words, last breaths. He's saying complete, perfect, fulfilled. It is finished. The church has traditionally called this sixth word, as you can see as I titled this brief reflection, Jesus' shout of triumph. His, his cry or shout of triumph. And over the next few moments, I want to show you why this is a shout of triumph. So, so what was finished? What was fulfilled? What was complete? That's what, that's what Ryle was talking about in that long quote I began with. This bottomless ocean for us to explore here of Jesus' dying words of it is finished. And that's what I want to do with you for the next few minutes together as we think about the very heart of the gospel as we stare at our Savior dying upon the cross What does he mean when he says it is finished? And so come, let us explore the death of Christ together. And let me do my best to help you to understand this sixth word about Jesus finishing. Finished. The humiliation of Christ. The Lord of glory came from heaven down to earth. And he, he took on, he was clothed in, f- in flesh, frail flesh. That is, he was, he was clothed in weakness. And then in frail flesh, he suffered, he suffered agony upon agony and humiliation upon humiliation, misunderstanding and mockery and betrayal and beating and torture and now execution upon a Roman cross. Now his humiliation, his downward spiral is completed. Only glory awaits. Finished his humiliation. Finished the temptations of the devil to the Son of God. Jesus faced, think about this, Jesus faced every single temptation. The author of Hebrews says every single temptation you face And still more, because unlike you and me, he never gave in. And so he got the full brunt and full force of everything the devil had to offer, only he never fell. He never yielded ground to a single temptation. And now his victory over temptation and the devil is completed. No more will the Son of God be tempted. He stood the test. Finished. Finished. A perfect obedience to the law. In, in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, at a mountain called Sinai, so, so Mount Sinai, God revealed and gave to Moses, the prophet Moses, uh, the law, the commandments. And so 613 laws Moses received upon the mount called Sinai from God Almighty, the ultimate test For every man, every woman, every child. And listen to me, nobody has ever passed that test. Israel or otherwise. Never once has anybody passed the test of the law of God. All have fallen short. And so the law has now become our prosecutor. It it testifies against all of us. It witnesses against us now saying guilty. 
as each of us in turns falls short. When Moses received the law, we read in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, there was thunder and there was lightning and there was fire piercing through from the skies like like a horror movie, which became a fitting scene as the law became a terror as we all broke it and fell short until now. A man has now kept the law and all 613 commands and he's kept it perfectly. The law has searched him and come back silent. No guilt. We sometimes sing the song here, let us love and sing and wonder. One of the lines we sing is, he has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. Finished. Finished the entire cup of God's wrath which he drank on our behalf. The Bible teaches that in justice, God stores up wrath in response to and in righteous accordance with our sins. So, so, so when you're a kid and you self-consciously sin for the first time. We have kids in the room right now. Maybe you've recently experienced this. You're, you're all alone and mom's not looking, your dad's not looking, and we can all remember moments like this if we can remember back that far. We, we sin and maybe there's, there's something deep inside of us that wonders what's gonna happen. Am I gonna get zapped when I choose now to disobey mom and dad and choose now to disobey God? And what happens? Nothing happens. If, if you're not seen, you're not caught. You don't get zapped. And, and so then what happens? Slowly but surely, we, we maybe start to tell ourselves, we start to think, oh, we're, we can get away with it. God doesn't care. Maybe God doesn't see. I'm good. Maybe he's okay with my behavior. He's okay with my disobedience. I'm good. You're wrong. The Bible teaches that God is storing up wrath in heaven, which perfectly corresponds to our sins. And the Bible uses the image of a cup filled with God's awful but fair wrath, which at the right time, God will make each and every one of us to drink for our sins. It's an awful image that the prophets use of the wrath to come against sin and against sinners. And it testifies that you and I and none of us, we will get away with nothing. You will get away with nothing. Jesus said earlier in John's gospel that his father was giving him that cup to drink. And so the cup of God's wrath for your sins and for mine, that awful cup, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from London in the 1800s said that there was hell in that cup. And Jesus took that cup and he drank it and he drank every drop of it. He quenched that cup. He finished it. For you and for me as we trust in Christ. Finished. Finished the payment for our sins by the sacrifice of our great high priest. One of the great offices, maybe the greatest office in all the Bible, just right up there with king, is the office of the priest. And the priest, many priests in the Bible, but they have two basic jobs. They're to make sacrifices for the sins of the people. That's the first job. The second job is they're to intercede for the people. They're to pray for God to be merciful for the people. So make sacrifices and then pray. That's the job of the priest. That's the role of the priest. That's it. But it's the most important job in all of Israel. For hundreds of years in the tabernacle and then 
in, in Solomon's temple and in the reconstructed temple for centuries and centuries. Priests have been offering sacrifices with the blood of bulls and goats for the sins of the people. But listen to me, never, ever, ever has any priest, after offering any of their sacrifices, ever uttered the word finished or complete. Why? Because he'll be back again next year. Because the people will have sinned some more. He himself will have sinned some more. And those bulls and those goats and their shed blood could never atone for the ongoing sins of the people. But listen to me, when the great high priest Jesus Christ, the Son of God, offered for a sacrifice his own body and his own blood, paying the full payment required by God for our sins. He cries out now, John 19, finished. Why? Because God received it and because it worked. And he now lives, the author of Hebrews says, not to make any more sacrifices ever. He's finished that first role of the priest. He lives ever to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25 says. He's praying for you. At the time that the New Testament was written, we actually have evidence of, of, of secular business receipts, which would sometimes be signed with tetelestai, this, this word, it, it finished, complete, uh, people would sign in commerce, they would sign their receipts to Telestai. Why? Because it, it signified that the debt that was owned, owed to one by another, this is the final payment. It, it's been paid in full. No more debts, no more receipts, no more payments. You're, you're good. You owed me $1,000, you paid me $100, 10 times the 10th payment to Telestai. Complete paid, full. Listen, for the Christian, for the one who trusts in Jesus Christ, Jesus is signing his work here as he dies to Telestai. Every debt paid. Nothing else required or owed to God by you, even if you could somehow figure out how to pay it, Jesus has paid it all and he's paid it on your behalf. Finished. Friends, I could keep going and going and going, and I still couldn't even touch the bottom of this ocean of John 19. It is finished, but time does not permit. Every promise, every prophecy, even in the verses just before the one I'm meditating upon, you're seeing John just checking off prophecies fulfilled. Every promise, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, finished. Salvation accomplished forever, finished. Perfect love demonstrated once and for all. Jesus said earlier in the gospel, uh, Greater love has no one seen than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Do you want to find and understand? Everybody wants to understand true love. And our kids, little princesses, true love. Here, the cross, the perfect and complete picture and demonstration of love. It is finished. Do you see indeed what a, what a shout of victory this is? In his dying, he's conquering sin. Conquering Satan, conquering death in perfect love. Spurgeon said, reflecting upon this moment in these words, the champion accepted the challenge to do battle for our soul's redemption against all of our foes. He met sin, horrible, terrible, almost omnipotent sin, and it nailed him to the cross. But in that deed, Christ also nailed sin to the tree. There they both 
Christ and sin, there they both did hang together. Sin and sin's destroyer. Sin destroyed Christ, but by that destruction, Christ destroyed sin. So if you're here this evening, I don't care if you're young or old or been to church a million times or were dragged here by a friend or a neighbor, if you're here this evening and you have not yet been reconciled to God by giving your life to Christ by faith, you, you can think you're good with God. Me, me and God, I've never, I don't, I've never cursed him. I don't, the whole Bible testifies that's not true. You, you can do your best and try really hard to be a really good person, but that perfect law of God stands as a witness against you and will condemn you for the rest of your life and before God, right along with the rest of us. Or you can believe. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he'll pay for your sins if you'll trust him. And so trust in him. Give him your life. He'll wash you clean and save you forever. And finally, if you're here this evening and you're a Christian, I wanna, I wanna give you a word, of, a parting word of uh, instruction, but also I hope encouragement for you as we leave behind these precious words of Jesus upon the cross. I wanna encourage you not to dishonor or doubt his work for you. Not to dishonor or doubt his work for you. We rest in the cross. We rest from spending our lives anxiously working and sweating and trying to become worthy of his pleasure as if we ever could earn his salvation. No, our worth and our standing is in Christ's work and his work alone. Our standing before God is in the righteous status that he earned and he now transfers to us. It's finished. And as we read in Galatians and heard from God's word in Galatians this past week, we don't just rest in the cross, we boast in the cross. Because the ancient death instrument, an instrument of torture, is his victory. And it's ours too, isn't it? Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for the words of Jesus, and even more, we thank you for all of the eternally earth-shaking, life-changing truth behind those words. We thank you that we find our rest in him and his completed work. God, forgive us for looking to other things uh, for looking to ourselves, for finding confidence before you on the flimsy ground of our own good behavior, our own good morals or whatever. God, forgive us and help us to trust afresh, even tonight. Bolster our confidence in the cross of Christ. And God, for the ones who are considering trusting in Jesus, God, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, draw them to find their rest in Jesus and in his death and resurrection too. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.